massive thanks to all our kids' work team. Really appreciate you guys, the way you're serving our families through this time. And uh, hi there, great to, to see you here, and uh, great you could connect in with us at home as well. We're going to continue the epic account of God's people entering the promised land. Our battles uh, may look a little bit differently. Hopefully, hopefully they do look a little bit different. They're not physical, but they are a manifestation of the same fight of faith that these guys were experiencing, a fight to believe what God is saying to us and a fight to step into all that God is giving to us. So there's lots for us to learn here. We're picking the story up in chapter 7. God's people, led by Joshua, have just taken uh, Jericho. They've uh, done exactly as God has said. and They've walked around the city, and the city walls have fallen. I'm sure many are familiar with that story. The walls come crashing down. And God has said to destroy everything, destroy everything in the, in, the, in the city, except, well, there are two exceptions, really. One was Rahab and their family, and her, her family. They are to be, uh, well, they're to be ready to live with God's people. And secondly, though, and uh, particularly important for what we're looking at to, today, he said, I want you to, uh, all the precious metal is, is mine, is to be given to God, is to be taken into the Lord's treasury, his storehouse. So everything else to be destroyed. And now we pick up the story in chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. I sometimes call it Ai, I mean, I whatever, um, it's known in, in different kind of ways. I think I is nearer to, to the Hebrew, but I'll, I'll maybe waver between the two. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai, do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as, uh, as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people, that's half the people of Israel, they melted and became as water. It's a, sh a shock, a defeat they suddenly experienced. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan." O oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, 
Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. And in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who has taken with the, he has taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of, Zer of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak uh, from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord bring trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Well, it's quite a, a long passage, but quite a, quite a challenging passage, frankly, and it raises questions in our mind, and we're going to be touching on some of those and addressing some of those in just a moment. But I want first to think about and just get straight in our minds why Israel was defeated. They didn't expect that, but they were massively defeated and overcome. And why is that? And there's a really helpful book uh, that we've kind of connected with this series called Victorious Christian Living by a guy called Alan Redpath. And he highlights in his kind of chapter on this particular uh, incident, he highlights three reasons why Israel was defeated. And as I looked at the passage, I thought, I think, I think we can see those reasons in this passage. And so I just want to touch on each one of them in turn. And the first reason for Israel's defeat in the face of this actually was a, a smaller a smaller town, a smaller uh, uh, fortress that they came across, um, Jericho, much bigger, was their overconfidence. They were overconfident. They seemed to have forgotten that it was God who gave them the victory in the past. All they had done was what God had said and marched around the city and the walls had fallen and they'd taken Jericho. And here, they, they, it almost had, had gone to their, to their 
hearts in the wrong way. Suddenly they thought, we are powerful. We have strength. We can do what we want now. We can have victory in ourselves. And they looked at this, what they say, this trifling town, this much smaller town. If we can do that, we can easily take this. You can almost hear the the overconfidence in this passage. We we don't need to trouble all of us. Maybe you you guys get the the dinner on. We'll send a few people over there. They'll take this kind of trifling town and come back, and we can enjoy our time together and relax, bask in our previous victory. This is going to be no problem at all. They were expecting to have a massive victory here, but they didn't. It was a total disaster for them. And there's a lesson for us that we must never let our past victories, even our God-given victories, lull us into a sense of our own self-confidence, self-reliance. Maybe we've been successful in our job or in a project at work. Maybe we're enjoying financial blessing right now. Maybe our parenting is going well and family life looks like it's on track. Maybe as we share our faith, people are coming to know Jesus. Maybe we're praying for people and we're seeing amazing things happen. We're prophesying and God seems to be speaking into these different situations. Maybe the church is growing. Maybe all kinds of good things are happening and that's that's good. We pray for those things. We believe for those things. We want those things among us. But we need to beware lest success deceives us into thinking that we are the source of our success, that the strength lies in us outside of what the Lord will do. The Lord had promised to fight their battles. He's promised to fight uh, with us and for us. On our own, we can do nothing, but with him, nothing is impossible. We need to make sure that we're not walking ahead of the Lord, trusting in our own strength, because if we do so, we'll be walking into the jaws of defeat. So that's the first thing, overconfidence. And you can see it in this passage. It just kind of, uh, you can smell it. Oh, we don't need to send too many people over there. We, we, we know what we're doing now. We're powerful. They're going to run before us. But they ran away from their enemies. It was them who were defeated. The second reason for their defeat is, well, you could say lack of prayer, but more specifically, it's a, a lack of hearing God's voice. Before Jericho, God spoke to them. There was communication between God's people, between uh, uh, between God's people and their, and their God. And he spoke to them. He told them what they were to do. But as they consider I, as I read this passage, there's, God's voice seems absent as they stand before this next challenge. There's, there's nothing. There's a lot of people talking. There's a lot of human discussion going on. There's a lot of deciding and commanding and advice being given and suggestions being made. But, uh, but there's, there's no, there's, the voice of God is absent. Now, Scroll forward to after their defeat, and suddenly they're praying out to God and they're calling out to God. But something about their success has caused them to shut their ears to what God is saying to them. Better to take time to ask the Lord for help and to hear his instructions as we face the next challenge and hear his strategy for us. If they had done that, I'm sure the issue of sin in the camp would have come up. God would not have let them go forward into this victory without highlighting to them in some ways. This needs to be addressed. If they'd have opened their ears and prayed to the Lord and heard what he said to them, they would have received his strategy, and they would have experienced his victory. But as it was, they went ahead, and there was no voice of God in their midst, and there was no faith, and there was just impotent self-confidence, and they experienced the defeat that entails from that. And as we look at the victories behind us and the challenges before us, we need to hear God's voice too, don't we? 
We need to hear God's voice. It's helpful, I guess, in some ways to think about what worked before, what's working for other people. It's helpful to kind of read books and kind of you have all kinds of books on management and volunteering and, and church growth and these things are helpful. And Proverbs uh, 15, 22, there's, there's, there's wisdom and help in many counsels. We want to hear as God gives wisdom to different ones. But if it's just a lot of people talking, that's no good. We want to hear God speak to us. What is God saying to us? And particularly right now for us as a people, as a church, what is God saying to us? We want to be fruitful. We want to be effective in all that he's calling us to do and not go ahead in our own strength. We need to listen. We need to pray and step forward in obedience to exactly, in exactly what God is saying for us to do. Not what he's told someone else to do, but what is he saying for us to do right now in the challenges that we face and the opportunities that we have before us to extend his kingdom. So finally, this final point about we're looking at why they were defeated. And this is probably the obvious one you've been waiting for me to say. The issue of Achan's disobedience. This is the primary reason for their defeat. There was sin in the camp. Against God's explicit command, Achan saw some things that he liked and he coveted them. A desire was birthed in him as he saw them. They looked good to him. And he took them for himself. And 36 men died as a result. And the whole future of Israel suddenly hung in the balance. They were threatened to be wiped out. As everybody else in the region suddenly saw, these guys are a pushover. They were kind of expecting everyone to come down, piling in upon them. Now, there are two lessons that I I feel I need to learn, particularly as I read this passage. Because I don't know about you, as I read this passage, and pastors like it, it, it's something in me feels uneasy. I think, oh, oh no, is that the way I see things? There's, there's something pushing back against my understanding and my expectation here. And these things were written for us. And so I want to learn the lesson. I want to take God's word seriously, the revelation of God seriously that's before us today. That's why we've taken time to read through this whole passage. This is God's word. And it's written to, to challenge us, to transform us, to teach us so that we can learn lessons. And so I find myself in need of learning lessons as I read this passage. And the first lesson that I need to learn is that God takes sin far more seriously than I do. God takes sin far more seriously than I do. I don't know about you, but sometimes as I read God's response to sin, it it can seem out of proportion. It can seem difficult to understand why God is reacting in that way. And at that moment, I need to decide whose whose opinion am I going to go with? But my feeling or what, what God says is right and what God says is wrong and what God says is a right response to sin and evil. And I need to remember that my instinct sometimes about these things is often clouded by my own sinfulness, of the things that I've done wrong, and I've tried to excuse myself. I need to understand that my sense of right and wrong and the seriousness of sin is often marred by the fact that I'm always, it's always relative to to those who, like me, have done wrong. I'm just I'm comparing one with another and saying, well, that's worse and that's better. I'm not factoring in a holy God. Jesus says God alone is good. And I don't think I have much of an idea, I don't know about you, about the burning holiness and goodness of God, just what perfect goodness is like. I, I'm used to experiencing relative goodness. And sometimes God draws near, doesn't he? And we get, a, we get a taste and we fall on our knees and we start to weep and cry. And this, we experience something of God's holy, perfect, burning goodness. 
And I need to remember that as I read passages like this. This is revealing to me something of God's goodness and his response to evil. It's not out of proportion at all. It's me that needs recalibrating because God is so good. Oh, any sin that is a deviation from his perfect goodness and his will leads inevitably to separation, death, and destruction. Ezekiel 18.4 says that the soul that sins shall die. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's just how God has breathed out, spoken out a world into being, and this is just the way it is by nature of who God is it's in, in his goodness. And each one of us has a fixed number of days before we stand before this holy God. I wonder if you're ready for that. I wonder if Achan felt ready for that as uh, his tribe was chosen, as his clan was chosen. I wonder what's going through his mind at that time. I wonder he was thinking, well, what I did wasn't so bad. Well, no one knows about it. Well, I'm sure I won't be found out. Well, even if I am, it was kind of, it's not that bad. And then as as his family's chosen, oh no, oh no, what have I done? What can I do? What should I do? Well, each day for us, well, for people like Achan, for people like me, perhaps people like you who have done things wrong, each day is an opportunity for us to turn from our sin to faith in God, in Jesus. See, Jesus died the death that we that was due us for the things that we've done wrong. This pile of rocks over Achan, it, it points me to the cross where Jesus died in my place and in your place for the things that you had done wrong, the things that I had done wrong, so that I could turn from sin to faith in Jesus. In a very real sense, the Bible says that I was crucified with Christ. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you were crucified with him. There has been a death for your sin. And if we can turn to Jesus and receive his perfect righteousness... Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not underestimate the seriousness of your sin before a holy God. Trust in Jesus and his death in your place. Receive Jesus' victory over sin and death and enter into this wonderful relationship that we can enjoy with God. Final lesson I want to just touch on as we uh, come to the end now. The second lesson that I need to learn here, and uh, if you do as well, then I hope this is helpful, is that my sin affects other people far more than I would have ever thought possible. My sin affects other people far more than I would have thought possible. It's a lesson I need to learn from this passage. It's not quite what I would have expected. 36 men died and a whole nation was threatened because of one man's sin. See, in this universe created by God, you cannot contain the life-destroying effects of sin that is doing things that God has said not to do. It seeps out, it infects, it affects everything. I was, um, do you know sometimes YouTube kind of, maybe you watch YouTube sometimes, it suggests things to you. Well, recently, it shows you what I was, kind of things I was looking at, it was suggesting to me that I watch a man blow up safes with hand grenades. I thought, oh, that is something I'm interested in. How on earth have you kind of worked that out? So uh, I was watching this guy blow up safes with hand grenades, you know, kind of safes like this, really strong things, and he put the hand grenades around it and kind of it exploded, and it did some damage to the safe. And then it was the, the highlight for me, and I was on the edge of my seat waiting to see what would happen. He took a grenade, and he put it inside the safe, and he had a bit of string, and he was going to pull the pin, and he shut the safe, and he moved away at a, well, a safe distance, I don't know, and he pulled the string. 
And there was the biggest explosion of all as this safe just shattered. And they, they couldn't find the pieces. There was such a huge explosion. This is what happens with secret sin. You cannot contain sin. Achan must have thought, no one will know it's buried underneath my tent. It was as if he'd put it in a safe. It does more damage. The potential for destruction of the sin, this effect, is greater when it's secret. And we think it's safer putting it in a safe. No one will know. This won't affect anybody. This won't hurt anybody. That's not the way the universe is wired up. It's not, it's not who God is and all his goodness. And so there was a huge result uh, from this, this man's what might seem to us small secret contained sin. Our lives are, are connected in a way that we cannot imagine. And particularly in the church family, we are so connected together. And therefore, we want to take a special care how we walk in the light to follow God and his direction and the things that he is saying to us. And so I want to just touch on, as we, as we finish, just a few things that will help us overcome, indeed overturn the destructive effects of sin in our lives and, uh, and the lives of those around us and actually become a blessing uh, to those around us. And the first thing is, don't sin. Just don't do it. Seems very straightforward, doesn't it? It seems a crazy thing to say, but that's what Jesus said. He said to a woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. But do you know how he was able to say that? He was able to say that because she had just received amazing grace from him. He'd, he said, I don't condemn you. She'd been forgiven. And in the light of that, she was able to live right. The, the Bible says that the grace of God comes to us and teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, to ungodliness. And as we receive the grace of God, we are set free and empowered to live right and obey God. And that's the next point. See, if we do sin, we can come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness and freely receive it and find freedom to say no in the future, not based on our own increased efforts, but based on the grace that we have received in Jesus. And third, where appropriate, we can then admit our faults and ask forgiveness from those around us who we've hurt, who our sin has caused harm to. And where it's in our power to do so, we seek to repair relationships and make amends. And finally, we can ask others to walk with us and help us walk with the Lord uh, in the future. Our sin affects those around us, but actually it's those around us that can help us walk with God and walk in increasing freedom and victory over sin. So we really value running partners, those that we can have friends that we can connect up with, just kind of one or two or two, three others that we can get together with and pray and, and be honest with and say, this is, I'm tempted in this area or please help me, please pray for me in this or help me kind of uh, apply this to my, to my life in these situations. We value life groups, pastorally gifted men and women in the church who can help come alongside and encourage us and apply God's grace to our lives and empower us to live free from sin and be a blessing to those around us. Well, I'm going to ask uh, Ben and the band to come back, if you would, as we come in a moment now into uh, a last time of worship together. See, after dealing with sin in the camp, Joshua was given specific instructions as to how to take this next city. And this time, they're victorious. And ironically, if Achan had obeyed God at Jericho, if he kind of held back and resisted the temptation, 
he would have received the spoils that were there, that God was giving them from this next city at, uh, at Ai. But uh, the fact that he didn't shows me that actually he had no appetite for the greatest treasure of all, and that is God giving himself to us in the person of Jesus and in his presence by the Spirit, that we would know his love and his grace and his kindness to us and live with him forever in a renewed heavens and earth. God is not holding back on us. There's an amazing blessing that we taste now and that's coming in full in the future. We don't have victory based on our own righteousness. Please don't go away with that, by the way. I hope you've noticed that we find victory and we step into victory based on faith in Jesus' victory over sin and death, applied to our lives as we trust in him, his death for us, his life, his righteousness credited to us. We're empowered then by the grace of God to live victorious and to take a ground that God has given to us. So let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that in Jesus we have the victory. That's why we, we sing about it. We lift up the victory that Jesus has had over sin and death. And I'm asking that each one of us right now by your spirit would trust in his victory over sin and death for ourselves. And would you embolden us to share it with others as we reach out with the, with the gospel. And even those maybe here today just hearing something of the gospel again afresh. Lord, would your grace flow into hearts and minds this morning. And on the basis of that, Lord, a basis of what you have done, your gift of righteousness to us and forgiveness to us, Lord, I pray there'll be a, a wonderful victories ahead of us as we trust you. Amen. Well, God, and trust in him for all that God has for us and is calling us into in the future.